Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Good morning. You can tell I'm old school because I'm bringing paper and a book. I do own an iPad, but I feel more comfortable with paper. Is that all right? So, I was asked to continue on in this series about faithfulness, and one of the things I have to be reminded of is this is how hard it is to pastor a church during this time of COVID. So, when we think about Pastor Chris, and by the way, it's his birthday, right? So, let's all say happy birthday. I know you're watching, Chris. And I know that you purposely chose to be away today and gave me this sacred opportunity because you're afraid that people would love on you too much. Um, That's the kind of humble man we have as the shepherd of this church. There's another important thing we talk about faithfulness, and that is a reminder that next week we celebrate the federal holiday of Veterans Day. It's on the 11th. So folks online, um, if you have in mind a person currently serving as a first responder or has served or a person who is in our armed forces or a veteran that needs prayer, I'm going to ask you online, go ahead and type that name and send it out. For all of you here, I'm going to tell you, a country like ours can't survive without selfless individuals who run into the face of danger. And they do that every day. And whether you're a nurse in an ICU or you're a soldier somewhere in the desert, a paramedic or a policeman, um, we thank you and we love you and we pray for you. And if there's anyone here today who's a veteran or is currently serving as a first responder in the past, would you please stand so that we can... Please, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you for being faithful. So we have this incredible moment that we're experiencing right now. There's so much going on in the background of our lives. And when we talk about trying to sow faithfulness, um, what Pastor Chris has been trying to convey to us is that 1 Corinthians 4.1, there is the way any person is to regard. This is the way. Anyone is to regard us as servants of Christ in the middle of crisis, as stewards of the mysteries of God, even though some of us are doing with less. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy, right? A steward is a person who is given great responsibility to manage resources. He also taught us that it's a privilege to be able to share our faith. I mean, in our country, we have freedom. There's a church on every corner, just like a 7-Eleven, for goodness sakes, right? Everywhere around us, we have opportunities to share our faith. And it's not just an opportunity, but it's a sacred responsibility. You know, we are all ministers, whether we like it or not. And why wouldn't we be? If you found the source of 
contentment, if you found the source of eternal life, wouldn't you want to share that? I mean, if you're in a shopping store and you find a coupon and you notice the person next to you is buying that thing and you're not buying that thing, aren't you going to offer them the coupon? But yet we're not going to share the gospel? Come on, Pierce. That's, that's not likely, right? That's not who we are. And so what Chris was teaching also is that with this comes responsibility, right? We have a sacred responsibility and accountability. And he talked about one of my favorite parables, and that's the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, we learned that life isn't fair. Did you know that life isn't fair? Have you noticed that? Did you ever notice that some people seem to have more and some people have less? And what he taught us was that there was a reason for that, right? It's a test, right? To those who have been given much, much will be expected, right? So when we're in a situation where God has granted you a boon of something, let's say wealth. Americans love wealth, right? We're all about money. So God gives you wealth. Now, he expects you to do something good with that, right? Not sit on it, right? Not buy more luxuries for yourself. But as a Christian, if we're blessed with wealth, we're expected to do something good with it. If God gives you a gift of speaking, preaching, or a gift of mercy, or let's say a gift where you're great at just attracting people, or maybe you've got a tremendous network of people that you can leverage in situations. God expects you to use every single one of those spiritual gifts or opportunistic resources that you have for his glory, all right? Not for our consumption, not for us sitting on and saving, but for his glory to be used, right? That is part of the mystery of it all. And, and as I was listening last week, I started thinking about where I am in life. Now, you know, there are a lot of us who are older in the congregation. We, thank God we have a young generation as well, but there's a lot of us who are older. And I know that I have less years ahead of me than I have behind me. And I'm okay with that. But I am now all about legacy. Okay, I'm not thinking about, well, my next career, my next house, my neck, no, <laughs> okay, next house is going to be the nursing home or the funeral home. It, it's, <laughs> now, I'm okay with it, all right? I'm okay with it. But the point of the matter is I think about how can I leave this world better, all right? And so I remember a song that Steve Green sang, and I remember seeing him in concert called Find Me Faithful. And I'm going to read you part of that. I want you to reflect in your heart what he's saying. I want you to picture as, as a, a saint like me in, in this place where we're later in life and we're thinking about stepping into heaven's gate and we're, we're also thinking about the people behind us, okay? And this is how it begins. It says, will pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road and those who have gone before us line the way? Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. 
surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race, not only for the prize, but as those who have gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Isn't that beautiful? You know, that song moves me. It's about legacy. You know, it's about making sure that in our faithfulness, we're preparing the way that the people can look at my life and they can say, oh, okay, that's what a Christian should be like. They can look at your life. They can see at your actions when things are bad, when things are good, whatever the circumstances, your grandchildren, your children, your neighbors, that they look at you and they see a model, that they see a roadmap to a better life, to eternity. And I love the concept that there are saints, there are relatives, there are people who have gone already to heaven and they are lining up ready for us. And when we cross the threshold into the next world, we will have them cheering for us. The people you loved, the people who maybe modeled faith for you, they will be there. And you want to be there when the next generation comes. Oh, my goodness, how horrible it would be not to see that loved one when the next generation comes and they say, where is so-and-so? They weren't faithful. They're not here to greet me. So we all want that, right? We, we want to end strong. We want to make sure that the next generation is set up for spiritual success, not just financial success. You know, we don't want to make trust fund babies. We don't want spoiled kids with all of our stuff. We want kids who are spiritually mature and resilient to follow us, right? If you have to leave the next generation something, leave them the hope of the gospel. Leave them a good, godly life, an example that you've made. Don't just leave them your stuff. Stuff gets wasted and used. It's gone, but the soul is eternal. The soul is eternal. That's where we need to be focused, right? Not on stuff, America. It's not about wealth, America. It's about the spirit of God. It's about the truth. The truth that Jesus Christ died and made a place for us in heaven, that he is our advocate, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can have eternal life. This is a truth that we should be bold about. It's not something that we should hide. You are not doing enough because you have good retirement planning and you're leaving an inheritance. Your inheritance must be an eternal inheritance that you leave to that next generation. Are you with me, church? So the question is, in this insane year of 2020, how do we stay on mission, right? If our mission is to make sure that we're creating the right spiritual inheritance, that we're sowing the seeds of faithfulness, how do we do that? Now remember, when the Bible talks about difficult times that are challenging and testing, they use a fancy Bible word. It's called tribulation, right? Tribulation. 
defined trouble. There is trouble. When hasn't there been trouble? But 2020, oh mama, what a year. What a year. Think about it. But we have a choice. Now, what are we going to do? Are we going to hide in our basements? Stretchy pants are comfortable. Lots of snack food can be purchased online. Right? There with our stash of toilet paper, guns, and ammunition. You know, we could hide in our basements, but we can also be bold. You know, we can also engage this thing. Like, I'm going to first agree that 2020 was a dumpster fire. If I could go to sleep and wake up in 2021, I would. But I don't think a doctor would give me the anesthesia that's required. So I have no, no choice but to face this year. COVID, isolation, fear, misinformation, changing information, politicians pointing fingers, shortages of key supplies, right? People we love getting sick, some dying. People that we know, I mean, really becoming unhinged over this thing. Uh, panic food buying, right? people hoarding, people behaving badly, punching each other in the face over the last bottle of sanitizer. Come on. What is wrong with people? Right? And, and we find ourselves, if we're fortunate, to keep a job working from home, which really sounds cool until you actually work from home. <laughs> right? And then your kid with the diaper runs in in the middle of your Zoom conference with a customer or, you know, a toilet flushes in the background in the middle of a business discussion, or any number of horrible things that seem to happen, right? And then in the meantime, you've got people who haven't studied algebra in years trying to teach their kids algebra because the kids are home, right? So now we're educating our kids. We've got people in the home. We may have elders that we're concerned about in nursing homes. We've got trouble, right? This year, a dumpster fire to be sure. Then the issue of racial injustice flares, right? And then we have concerns about this, and there's dialogue, and then there's looting and rioting and violence and protests and fear. And now, in addition to COVID, we've got that to make us anxious. And then the trash talking begins. And then social media becomes the cesspool. You know, we should just throw all of our wastewater in there to get it cleaned, because I swear to you, the things that people say in social media, they would never say in face-to-face -face conversations, but they seem free to say the most hateful, disgusting things to each other, right? Attacking one another, exaggerating claims. You're a Nazi, you're a communist, you're this, you're that. I mean, then we get into the masker versus no masker situation. We have people who are saying, you're, you don't have enough faith. If you had faith, you wouldn't have to wear a mask. And someone else says, yeah, but if you had better hygiene, I wouldn't have to wear a mask. And, and, you know, and it goes back and forth, and, and it's a war, right? And then the worst of this is, these are Christians that I know. These are people that I respect. These are people that I know, and they're behaving crazy. They've just become unhinged during this time. I don't see evangelism going on. I see slap talk. I, you know, I don't see as much compassion going on. I see people hoarding. You know, I'm seeing the opposite of what a Christian group of people should be about. And it troubles me. I know talking with Pastor, it troubled him too. 
And that's why he really made an effort to do everything we could. Remember, we started doing church outside, and, and we were trying to engage and trying to kind of find a healthy balance between preserving safety and continuing our mission, right? I feel so bad for Pastor Chris. I mean, that, that is so hard when there's so many strong opinions. Hey, how many people know that there was an election this year? Anyone? Oh, there's one. There's one. Yeah, who knew there's an election? This is probably one of the most polarized, angry, craziest elections of my life. I have never seen the level of hatred and division, even within people of faith, than this election. And I know that people have strong opinions, and I know that there are people who know me and my politics and know how this is going to sound odd to you. But I actually didn't want to watch TV. I turned it off. I turned off the radio, and I said to my wife, honey, you know, we're going to do our best to kind of stay informed a little bit, but this is poison for my soul. This is making me feel angry. It's making me you know, feel like I should be doing something and I can't do something, and that gives you a sort of a, a hopeless, stressful state of mind, and it was paralyzing me. And so I said, bloop, off. God, up, media, down. <laughs> have to, have to, got to protect your minds, got to protect your hearts. Boy, if you take this stuff too seriously, it will poison your soul and you end up punching someone in the face. And that is not a good thing, either one, right? So here we are in the middle of all of this and, and people are asking, why? <laughs> hey, God, what's going on? Why are you doing this? And so I, I'm just going to propose something to you. What if, what if 2020 is a God-given opportunity to strengthen our faithfulness. Now work with me now. I'm going to say some unpopular things. No one has any rotten produce or things they can throw at me, right? Okay, so now I'm going to, I'm going to be on the verge of hypocrisy here because I'm talking about physical fitness, and clearly you can see I'm a specimen of physical fitness. So I am told that weightlifters purposely stress their muscles hair tissue, uh, grunt, you know, lift heavy weights, stress their bodies, they do crunches, they do push-ups. Why? Because that stress makes them grow stronger. That stress on the body right, makes them grow stronger. Or you could do what I do and just eat. <laughs> Clearly, this is not working for me. So finish the sentence, no pain, no gain. We all know this, right? So, spiritually speaking, no pain, no growth, right? No gain. So, our spirits, like our bodies, need to be exercised. And you know what prosperity does to us? Prosperity makes us wear our pajamas, eat Oreos, and watch bad television, spiritually speaking. Now, now, if you eat Oreos and lay around in your pajamas all day, I don't mean to offend you. But the point of the matter is that, spiritually speaking, prosperity makes us feel comfortable. You know, 
when we've got the guy we think should be in office, when we've got a job, when we've got money, when we've got some health, natural tendency is to slip back and just enjoy life. We don't stretch ourselves as much. We don't try to stay spiritually fit. It's natural. It's a human tendency to kind of slack off. Can we just be honest, right? I mean, when things are going great, you go on vacation. Now you can't. When things are great, you know, you go to your favorite store, you dine out. Now they do contact tracing. You know, when things are great, you don't really think sometimes about giving out of your excess to help the church or some noble charity. You, you kind of just take it in. Take it in. And what happens is that we grow weak and spiritually this. <laughs> Fat. Out of shape. Right? Because we're filling ourselves with something other than God. Right? We're enjoying life. It's natural. It's what we do. But what happens is that we become weak. And every now and then, something horrible or challenging comes along that shakes us. And it forces us to reassess, to reset, to get back into disciplines, to start working together instead of working against each other, to stop calling each other names and start embracing so that we can work together to make a difference. I propose that what we're experiencing right now is exactly that opportunity. I propose that the adversity that we're having right now is an opportunity to get stronger. I would go further to say that there is a price to be paid for faith. But oftentimes the price that we're paying is not for our faith, but for our own ignorance. Example. You choose to have a relationship with just this disgusting person. Your friends say, you're making a mistake. Stay away from this person. You don't listen. They're cute. Okay? Everyone around you, every flag is waving, saying, warning, warning, warning. But no, you persist, because you can change this person. You're going to make them into a good Christian, and they're going to be a wonderful spouse. And then disaster strikes, and you're heartbroken. You're heartbroken, right? Now, was that God? No, it wasn't God. That was you. You wanted something. You went for it. Everybody was warning you. They may have given you scriptural advice. They may have tried to slap you in the head. They may have tried to kidnap you and take you into another zip code. You know, whatever it was, but you weren't listening. And now there's consequences. There's heartache. There's problems, right? Just like me. I mean, like I used to be in great shape. You know, when I was in the military, I was forced to be in good shape. I was in the National Guard for 23 years, and so I had to stay in physical shape. I had to watch my weight, whatnot. Man, the minute my enlistment was up, Hello, pizza. <laughs> yes, I made up for old times, and I'm a stress eater at that. And I had a very stressful life. I had some difficulties in life. Um, during that time, after 9-11, there were some personal uh, challenges in my life. Um, you know, some of you know um, my marriage ended. Um, there were some bad things that happened, and I filled myself up with things other than God. Now, there were moments very sweet moments where I did lean on God, and it, it took me a minute to get there. And I'll talk to you about that in a second, about how powerful that can be. But the fact of the matter is, when you make a mistake, you need to own it. You can't blame it on God. But when conditions exist that are bigger than us, 
We can call that tribulation, and we can learn from it. Either way, failure isn't final, people. We can make mistakes and come back from it. Society can be rough. There can be tough times, right? But we can come back from it, right? There is, there is a hope. We, we worship a God of second chances and grace. And it's very important that we know that. And, you know, as I think about it, who is the poster child for tribulation in the Bible? Well, I would say it's the Apostle Paul. And I want to show something to you in Romans 5, 3 through 5, about what Paul says about trials. Paul says, we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance means resilience. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Everything that happens to us on that macro level of life, that bigger than life, I'm talking about things that were not our own doing, but just the circumstances of life, that tribulation, it can make us stronger. As a church, we have to approach this with the same level of seriousness and discipline of a professional athlete. I mean, we need to make sure that all of us are at our best. We need to be discipling each other. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to be in the word. We need to make sure that we're getting together in groups or in mass like this because it offers an opportunity for us to see the faithfulness of God and to become the men and women that God intended us to be, like Paul showed us. And so the reality check is no one wants tribulation. I mean, unless you've got something about pain, I think most of us don't want tribulation, right? But what we do want is to have that sweet closeness to God. I mean, I can tell you at some of the worst moments of my life, when I despaired to even live, where I had lost everything. I had lost my spouse. I had lost my home. I was fighting for the right to be my kid's dad. I was using all of my remaining wealth and energy and resources and intellect to fight just to get through this thing. And I was just being crushed. Because my identity was so centered, you know, on being the church guy with the good marriage, you know, of being the citizen soldier, you know, this whole ego thing was wrapped around this. And when it was torn away from me and my wealth was gone, my trophy house was gone, my wife was gone, and I was fighting to stay in my kid's life, and my health started to suffer, I was done. I had nothing left. I had nothing left. I can remember being on my knees and weeping. Half of the time I was mad at God, and the other time I was appealing to him. Sometimes just within a moment's difference, screaming, God, why? I was a minister of your word. I, I, I preached to so many people. I inspired them. I, I wrote dramas and 
for Easter, and I gave generously, and I did all of these things. Me, 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 I, 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 right? You owe me, God. You owe me. Why are you letting this happen? You know, it saved my life. What I went through saved my life. Because ultimately, my identity was completely wrong. I was tied to the wrong things. My focus should have always been on God. It took for God to have to peel away all of those things. My ego, my possessions, my pride, right? Take the house, take the money, take everything away from me. And all that was left was me broken. It took that for me to be able to finally say, my Lord and my God, I've got nothing. I have nothing left. My Lord and my God. And he came through. And he gave me a peace that was so sweet. I swear to you, I'm half tempted sometimes to create a crisis so I can feel it again. It was so beautiful. It was so present. And God started sending people into my life. There was this sergeant named Crowder. He was a state trooper. And I was in an Einstein bagel. And all truth to you, I, I really was, I was really contemplating ending my life. And I was sitting there with my Bible and my journal. And I was trying to think of reasons to stay alive. And this thin, perfectly dressed African-American guy in a Smokey the Bear hat walks over to me. He says, excuse me. Are you journaling? It's like, uh, yeah. And he says, Are you going through some trouble? It's like, uh, and I don't know why I did it. I said, Yeah, I'm going through a divorce. I'm really lost. And he says, Can I pray with you? And in my heart, I desperately wanted to scream, No! There's a room full of people. We're in an Einstein bagel. Leave me alone. I'm just, I'm just sad. All right, go away. But I don't know what it was, but he put that kind of kung fu grip on my hand. And he says, oh, Lord, my brother, what's your name? Tony. Tony, he's going through a tough time. Someone's done him wrong, Lord. And in his sing-song African-American voice, he begins to tell everyone in Einstein Bagel what a mess I'm in. <laughs> and is praying down and asking for the Holy Spirit to come in my heart and help me and, and relieve me. And while I was absolutely horrified and humiliated. You know, I was also touched. I actually met him again. People thought I made this story up. It's, I didn't make it up. He actually took me to his patrol car, gave me Bible tracts, gave me his card, wrote his phone number, and he says, you know, when I was in your situation, I got in a dark place. I almost took my own life. Here's my phone number. You call me. Wow. You know, he was my concealed pistol license instructor years later. It's like, it's him. <laughs> it's the Bible guy. Um, it's an amazing story, but that's the kind of stuff that was happening. And folks, this, it wasn't isolated. It was routine. It was routine. This was happening often because I was that close with God. I had to be broken first. How was Paul treated? 
Let's look at case study here of Paul. Paul, the apostle, cost of faithfulness. Five times he received 39 lashes, which, by the way, could have killed you. 34 could have killed you in that culture. 39, five times. Three times beaten with rods. Once stoned. And I mean that not in the modern sense of, I mean, like, <laughs> stoned. Three times shipwrecked, right? He was in constant danger from floods, from robbers, from Jews that were hunting him down, from Gentiles that were mad, they were disrupting their business. Cities, wilderness, sea, false brothers. He had to work hard with his hands. Sometimes he was starving. Sometimes he was nearly dying of thirst. Other times he was dealing with the blazing heat or the cold. I mean, this is a man who suffered because of his faithfulness, not because of some boneheaded mistake like we make, right? He's the real deal. Paul is the poster child for tribulation. And keep in mind, he had planted numerous churches. And he was constantly worried. And, and much of what we have in the New Testament are his letters. They're actually his letters of instruction to different people. Hey, you church over there, you better watch out because I'm coming back. You guys, awesome dudes, awesome. Hey, Tim, hey, Tim, watch out for this situation. Remember, you're teaching some people older than yourself and that stomach issue. Take a little wine, brother. It's okay. You know, he was writing letters to people. We have those. It's amazing. So in Ephesians 3.13, we look at how Paul responded to his trials. Now, you know how we respond to trials. He said, therefore, I ask you not to become discouraged because of my tribulations in your behalf, since they are your glory. I mean, rather than say, God, what are you doing? I gave everything for you. You remember that road on Damascus and we had that whole thing and you said that thing and I went out and became your guy. Why are you doing this? No. His biggest concern was, I'm really worried about these churches that I planted. I think those guys love me. They're going to probably be worried for me. You know, people like Dorcas and others and Tim. And He wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't wrapped up in self-pity. He was thinking about the mission. Right? He was thinking about how this is going to impact all these churches. I mean, if any of us were just beaten once in an alley for being a Christian, we'd be traumatized. This guy made an occupational habit of being beaten and imprisoned and shipwrecked, right? And look what his worry was, the mission. It wasn't about for himself, right? It wasn't about the fact that he wasn't making money. It wasn't about that his health was the main issue. It was about the mission. Me, I mean, I get sick. I crawl into bed with my jammies. <laughs> Linda, bring me some tea. I'm so feverish. You know, and, and I want to be babied. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm like the biggest baby ever, right? Now, Linda's the opposite. Now, Linda, it's like, leave me alone. I'm going to sweat this thing through, and I'll be fine. Just don't talk, <laughs> you know? A whole different personality than mine. But tribulations really show us something, right? It, it, it shows how it can generate faithfulness. Um, and oftentimes, our tribulations have nothing to do with spiritual things, right? It has everything to do with just bad decisions. So in the time that's remaining, what can we do 
to help one another through this. Because it'd be awful just to point out all the nasty things that we're doing and not doing and not to give us a solution, right? So here's me trying to be constructive. So the real issue is we know there's a price to being faithful. Okay, we just have to accept it. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. Love it. This church is all about it. Never seen a church like this. By the way, if I can brag for a second, those of you watching online, maybe you're not members of this church. This is an awesome church. You should become a member of this church. Okay? I've been a member of a church that has as many as 19,000 people. Right? It was like Disney with God in this place. Everything top-notch, right? But you know what was lacking? People like them. People who rolled up their sleeves and gave. They gave their time. They gave their love. They gave when they couldn't afford to give. This is the kind of church that has, you know, 80% of its members show up for an event. You know what the normal situation is? About 10%. Most churches, about 10% of the congregation is involved. We're like an 80% church. Now, we need to be proud of that, and we need to, to leverage that, right? We can't let this stuff going on around us keep us from being engaged. We have to keep going on mission. So, I want to talk about two types of people that we need. Two types of people. And, and guys, I'm going to generalize a little bit, so bear with me. And it's a little snarky. Is that okay? Is that right? A little snarky. So, I call them huggers and boots. Huggers and boots. A hugger is someone like in Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Beautiful, kind, compassionate, wonderful, right? Huggers have the uncanny ability to embrace and show compassion to even the most bristly, unlovable human beings that exist. They're the kind of people who watch someone new come in church who's like, immediately hones in on that person and will hug on them until they smile. They just have this innate thing. Huggers, by the way, you cannot be taught to be a hugger. God makes you a hugger, right? He, he gives you this incredible high level of emotional intelligence, right? Yeah? yeah, there we go. That's so sweet. Huggers are vital because they make up our mercy ministries. They make up our prayer warriors, right? But huggers, and by the way, we need more of you. So I know some of you are hiding. You know, you've got your lamp under a basket. You don't want to out yourself as a hugger. It's okay. We're a very accepting place. We accept huggers here. We love huggers. Huggers, the danger is that if you're not careful, you can engage someone in an act of compassion and then end up having an inappropriate relationship. I have seen this happen to people that I know in other churches that led to an inappropriate relationship. It started off with a woman who was trying to help a man who was struggling, and she began to really have some feelings for this man because she was praying for them and helping, and then eventually that became an inappropriate relationship, and it ended a marriage, and it caused a lot of harm. So while we have to have huggers. Can we agree that we should really center our support of people of the same gender? 
right? Make sure that you're supporting someone of the same gender. We have men who are huggers too. We just don't like to admit it because, uh, but, and, we, and then they hug differently, right? But I'm talking about being emotional. Well, that's my timer saying I've talked too much. Thank you. Stop. Alexa, whatever your name is, Siri. Okay. All right. That's why I use paper. This is why I use paper. Okay, so huggers, be careful. Because the other issue is this. The other issue is we have situations where someone is self-destructive. They need a boot. They need a boot, not a hugger. They need accountability. Boots are someone that we see in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That last part, we are going to visit again. And I'm asking you not to listen to the dinging in my back pocket. <laughs> Boots. You help misguided brothers and sisters. You can be men or women, right? Boots can be men or women. They engage in what we call percussive engagement. Meaning, right? Sometimes some of us need something other than a hug. We need a push. We need to say to someone, hey, Bob. If there's a Bob in here, just ignore her, right? Hey, Bob. I heard that you, you left your wife and kids. And then you've taken up with someone, your secretary or whatever. Dude, what are you doing? That's wrong. You're not the man that I knew. What's going on with you? You've got to challenge that kind of stuff in the congregation, right? Or, hey, Mary, I heard you the other day at, at our prayer meeting, and you were basically gossiping about someone disguised as a prayer. Oh, Lord, help Susie whose eyes seem to roam a lot, I noticed lately. You know, no, you don't do that, right? you got to call people out on this stuff. It has to be done in a way that is godly. It has to be done biblically. Sometimes you have to bring other people. But we need boots. We do. But the danger with boots is that they become harsh and judgmental. And it's not about that, friends. Admonishing someone means you want to restore them to the right standing with God. So when we think about these different roles, keep in mind that we need all sorts of people in the church. We need those huggers. What do we do? This is a tough time. There's people who are sick. They need love. They need practical care. They need prayer. We need more. Okay? So if that's the way God leads you, please, volunteer and help. We'll find places for you to serve. We need boots. We need people who can disciple other people, who can stay in the word, and can appropriately admonish individuals who have gone off the tracks, okay? And offer practical care. But it has to be done in love, right? It can't be done maliciously. And listen, we need everything right now. We need people who can give. So if you're blessed with a job and you have the means, please seriously consider giving more because we have a lot of brothers and sisters who are hurting, who need help. You know, we need people with facilities, taking care of the place. There's numerous things we can do. And by doing that together, we can get through 2020 
you know, this dumpster fire of a year. And we can get through it with greater faithfulness. God bless you. Have a great day.